Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Owl Scoop Podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 33, and you're probably at least a little bit confused as to why you're hearing my voice uh, instead of John DiCarlo's, Sam Cohn. With me, Dante Colinelli, Caden Steele. Uh, unfortunately, neither John nor Kyle could be with us today. Javon also not with us today. So uh, I'm taking the reins for today's pod. Um, we got a lot to talk about, but uh, how you guys doing? Doing good. Uh, excited to see what you do with the host chair. You know, there's a lot of pressure, but you've done it before. You're you're very experienced, so this is good because I, I don't think me or Caden would be able to to handle this this weight of responsibility that you have. Those yeah. that are longtime listeners may remember that I've hosted at least a couple episodes in the past. <laughs> yeah, doing Kaden, well today. Yeah, doing well. Uh, I like Dante. Different type of feel to the show today without John and Kyle and Javon. They'll all be missed, but three-person show here, and uh, we'll get it going and run it. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Uh, Dante had mentioned before our show, it'd be funny if we came on to the show and I just pretended to be John and Dante pretended to be Kyle, and we just kind of went the whole show calling each other John and Kyle and just see what happens. Um, unfortunately, we will not be doing that. We'll be playing are we playing our own characters today um famous 33s have to ask larry bird that's all i got that was the only that was the only one that we got pre-show um was edron james 33 or 32 he was 32 damn it um grant hill he was was a good one oh wow scotty pippen i'm a idiot patrick ewing was also 33 he was i thought he was 32 Oh, I Kareem was 33 as Kareem. well. Also thought Kareem was 32. Interesting. So maybe there's something wrong in my brain where I think people that are 32 or 33 and 33 and 32. I, I think Shaq might have done both. Like, I think yeah, he might have been both. 32. Yeah. It's a weird number. Anyway. It is a weird number. Um, segwaying weird numbers into Temple. This past weekend, we were able to go to the and cover the Temple's Cherry White game. First time since 2018 they've had a game. First time since 2019 they've had some kind of open practice. Uh, obviously, Rod Carey's first year. They had the open practice we were able to go to. We saw a lot of individual drills. We were able to talk to some people, but it, was, it wasn't really a scrimmage. We just saw them kind of work out. And then, obviously, the pandemic took away the last two years. So it was nice to be back in person. It was at uh, Edberg Olson Hall. All three of us were there. Uh, we had the whole Owl Scoop staff there. John was there. We saw Kyle in person for the first time in a while. Um, we saw J- uh, Javon was there too. So a lot of great content. We saw a lot of, I don't want to call it great football because I don't know if it was great football. It was interesting football. We're going to dive into all that. But we saw football, which was really cool. We endured the hail for a good half hour, 40 minutes. Um, but it was fun. So, uh, I mean, I'll turn it over to you guys first. Just your first main takeaways from, uh, from Saturday's inter, inter-squad scrimmage. I mean, I think from a football perspective, uh, this team has a lot of work to do just, just around. But again, like it's spring. So, you know, how much do I want to sit here and like lament them for being uh, a little bit out of sync? Right. I think that's to be expected. Uh, you have new players with new coaches learning new schemes. They've had what is it, 14 practices they had before that game. So 
you know, how much were we really expecting them to come out there and just be really, really good? And if you look across the country at other spring games, most of them are kind of, you know, a hosh posh mix of good plays and a lot of bad plays as well. So um, I do think that a lot of the same concerns that the team had last year are still present. And I'm not really sure how they're going to address those. I, I think you look at the offensive line and you see a group that is struggling to communicate that is still struggling to create push you look at the quarterback position and you see inconsistent play let's go with that um and then you don't really see any standouts at running back again it's a little bit early uh, and i don't think there's any reason to panic or draw any you know particularly devastating long-term conclusions from anything that happened on saturday uh, but it is just something to keep your eye on going into the fall. Uh, and like Sam said, we did endure the hail. Uh, as I think my the favorite part of, of the day for me was standing over Sam with an umbrella in the sleet and just calling out numbers to him so he and I could put together some type of a depth chart for the first team and second team uh, offense and defense. So uh, it was a good time. It was nice to see like the pe- like just people there. I, I thought that was nice, right? Like the atmosphere was really cool. You guys can you know, probably touch on that a little bit more than me. Um, but from a football perspective, incredibly sloppy defense dominated for the most part. There was only three offensive touchdowns. But again, I think a lot of that's to be expected. There were some standout performances from, you know, David Martin Robinson had some nice plays. Devon Fox had some nice plays. But um, I think overall pretty sloppy, but to be expected. Yeah, kind of going off, you know, what Dante said, when you look at it, I think the overall, you know, biggest takeaway for me is outside of football, we saw Javon's story post about Quincy Roche, a lot of the alums back, Sean, you know, Bradley was there, you even saw Kurt Warner, Brian Westbrook, a lot of people who are now, you know, supporting Temple's program, and we all, you know, probably know it wouldn't be the same if the former administration was here, so it's good to see, you know, just people back out there supporting the team. And then from a football perspective, like Dante said, it was a lot of sloppiness from the offense, which is to be expected. The offense struggled last year. It's not going to be fixed, you know, over one offseason. But, you know, a couple, you know, bot snaps. You know, Dewan Mathis seemed kind of up and down to me, some interceptions. Uh, it seemed like he underthrew some passes. He also had some nice plays. So a lot of inconsistency up front. They struggled blocking. But like Dante said, you know, it's kind of early. But I mean, there is some players, you know, some younger guys that stood out. You know, Devon Fox, like um, Dante mentioned, you know, had a nice touchdown. Or I think he might have beat Keyshawn Paul and ran through a tackle. So he, you know, caught my eye a little bit. And there's a few other players, you know, offensively that showed some flashes, but no real consistent basis on Saturday. Yeah. So for starters, um, I want to talk about the, you know, the just the people that were there. Kind of before we get more into the football, as, as you guys had alluded to, uh, just names. Katie had mentioned a few. Kurt Warner was there, which I think was a surprise to all of us. And I, I didn't see Elijah Warner there, but for for Kurt to be there was cool. Brian Westbrook was there with his family. In terms of former players, um, you know, Paul Palmer, Sean Bradley, Chappelle Russell, Isaiah Graham Mobley, Quincy Roche, George Reed was there, who you know is not with the team this year. Would, you know, and retired from football or whatever, or left the team, whatever the um, specifics of that were. But you know, he he's not with the team anymore. He was there. There were a ton, a ton, a ton of former players. There's a great uh, picture that Temple Football posted, I think, earlier today. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday earlier today of you know a bunch of those guys and some current players that spans you know almost if you go back to like Sean Bradley and Chappelle Russell's freshman year. Like that's eight years. Uh, seven, you know, seven, eight years of Temple football in that one photo kind of spanning. So like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the older guys coming back was, was cool to be in that environment. You know, I know, um, and we're going to get to this a little bit more later too, about how Stan Drayton is 
has really called on all those guys to come back. Um, you know, has reached out to every single one of them. I think it was in Javon's story that uh, Quincy Roche was just looking for a phone call um, to come back. That was really all he needed to, to want to still remain intact and remain um, connected with the program. And he got that from Stan. So it's cool to see a lot of those guys. Uh, yeah, from a football perspective, as Dante mentioned, uh, the, you know, in the beginning, there was a lot of like, me writing down numbers and Dante holding an umbrella over me while he was calling out names. And uh, I think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me was that that was the first time we got to see any semblance of like a, a depth chart. Obviously nothing is set in stone. There's so much is going to change so much going to move. But as of right now, you get a good sense of where the staff's head is at. Um, you know, when we go to practice. I think we've talked about this before that we really only see stretching or you know more recently when we're there after practice we see the last couple minutes kind of through a glass window um you can see a little bit so this was the first chance we got to, to see like when they call out you know the one offense against the two defense and the two offense against the two defense or the one or the one defense excuse me um so we got like a, a decent sense of a depth chart uh so on that note the depth chart note any surprises there or is that kind of what you guys expected uh expected of, of the first stringers i would say most of it is what i expected i think any of the surprises can kind of get explained away by injury right you see bryce toman as a starting he was the the starting right guard if i remember correctly um isaac moore was in pads but didn't participate so that forced adam klein to move to right tackle so they insert bryce toman in at right guard so right so you can explain that away from that on the defensive side, a uh, couple guys have gotten injured, so that pushed somebody like Sylva uh, Sylvester Mathis, an outside linebacker, into the starting lineup. Cameron Ruiz wasn't uh, playing, so that pushed Nate Wyatt and um, a couple other guys up the depth chart at corner. So I think a lot of players who surprised me um, were in there due to injury, not necessarily because – they outperformed the expected starters. Now maybe they did and it was the spring game and they just didn't want to pivot to that. I don't know. Um, but I think it's easy to sit there and look at injuries. I, I will say though, that like some of them played pretty well. Like I thought Sylvester Mathis had a really good day at outside linebacker. Again, I don't know if he gets that spot long-term when some guys come back. Um, but I thought he was quite good. Uh, Bryce Toman did his best out there. I don't know. You know, I'm assuming he's still in competition for that starting center spot. And we saw, Wisdom Quarshi have some snap trouble. So maybe Toman's still in play there and maybe he still isn't play at right guard. I don't know. But um, I think from a depth point, a depth chart standpoint, it's honestly exactly what I expected pretty much across the board outside of the guys that I just brought up that were injured. I mean, I, unless you guys have any surprises, like I, I thought it was pretty chalk for the most part. Yeah. The one thing I'll add, and, you know, Kaden, I'll toss it over to you is, uh, just on the note of injuries, uh, I think we'd reported some of these, but we know Isaac Moore, as you mentioned, was in pads, but did not participate. Uh, Cameron Reeves was on crutches, so he's out. Um, Lansing Ture is hurt. Balansama Kamara is hurt. We were told that none of those are super serious injuries. Um, all those guys, that's, I think those are all, you know, newer injuries that happened during the spring. I don't think I'm missing anybody, guys. Please let me know if I am. But those are all guys that should be ready, uh, ready to go by the summer. Um, nothing, you know, nothing super serious, which is, which is good. Uh, but yeah, no, Dante, I, I'm with you. I don't think there were any, uh, any guys in the, uh, with the first stringers and there were a ton of rotation. So guys were getting reps with the ones and the twos, but for the most part, sort of what we expected, uh, excluding injuries, Caden, you have anything else to add? Yeah. Kind of just on both, you know, on board with both of you didn't really see anything that, you know, surprised me, 
But like Dante mentioned, because of the injuries, Sylvester Mathis looked good. And then some of the younger guys really popped out. Like Jalen Satchel played it really well, you know, really good as well. So there was definitely some, you know, highlights from some of the younger guys, but no like depth chart, you know, surprises. Yeah. One guy we've heard, a, I don't want to say a ton of, but we've heard a decent amount for, about uh, is just the name Zach Gill, who obviously didn't play last season due to injury. Uh, Stan Drayton spoke extremely high of him. Antoine Smith said his expectations for him are through the roof. Uh, I think he gave us some kind of, he gave us a quote that was like, you know, I've coached 20, 20 years, 21 years of coach D tackles and, you know, 20 of them, 20 of the 21 or 19 of the 20, whatever the number is, uh, have been all conference. We did not fact check that, but uh, that's, that's him telling us that he feels confident that he can coach strong defensive tackles and, uh, you know, and, and, and bolster a defensive line. So just first impressions of, of seeing Zach Gill uh, live in person, hitting someone. He was good. I thought he was consistently disruptive. I mean, the entire defensive line, I mean, they were just a wreck in the O-line all day. I mean, it really wasn't much, very, very fair. I thought Zach was really good though. Consistently disruptive, quick off the ball. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of what he had to go through this spring was probably just getting back into football shape you know, um, putting on that muscle that he lost when he wasn't playing, getting back into the gym, um, you know, relearning some of the technique things that fell by the wayside, you know, not probably not by any fault of his own, just by not being able to be on the football field for so long. You know, you kind of have to football is a game of reps. You have to take those reps. So I think him just getting up to speed again and and he looked good. And I agree. I think Caden mentioned Jalen Satchel. I thought Satchel was really good on the interior there. So, you know, maybe that's a spot where, you know, Temple feels okay about its defensive tackle play right now. We talked to Antoine Smith, like Sam said, and he was uh, very complimentary of Zach Gill, the person, but uh, largely was very critical of his room uh, in saying that, you know, he needed to completely rebuild their technique and different things. I, I personally thought they were pretty good on Saturday and Stan Drayton agreed with me. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, I don't, maybe Antoine Smith is being intentionally hard on his guys, trying to get them to get to a higher ceiling and not be satisfied. And, you know, all that coach bullshit that they pump, that they pump all the time. But um, you know, I, and I get that, but I, I think to answer your question, I thought Zach was pretty good for a guy who hasn't played in a year and a half. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I think that's worth adding and Dante, you had mentioned this, uh, about how strong, and I, I think this is, you know, the, the, the naked eye, anybody who was there that knows nothing about football could say, wow, the defense really outperformed the offense for much of Saturday, um, especially up front. The defensive line, the front seven was really, 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 really strong. Uh, this is not any insane analysis, but I think it's at least worth mentioning. It's a conversation we've had in the past, something prior coaches have said. And Dante, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a pretty common thing that at this point, the defense is usually ahead of the offense. Uh, so that isn't super surprising, but it's at least worth noting that, you know, that's not an uncommon thing, but the defense is very much ahead of the offense right now. Uh, we saw uh, some missed handoffs. Um, we saw some some fumbled snaps. I think there were what well, we counted six fumbles, three of which ended up being turnovers. The offense yeah. threw three interceptions. So and, you know, we've seen that in the spring blog notes. The offense has, has turned the ball over a, a decent amount. So they're still getting their footing. They're still figuring out. Um, you know, DeJuan Mathis is still fighting for that spot, assuming they're going to bring in someone else uh, at starting quarterback. So uh, other thing I want to add, takeaway from uh, the only person we were able to talk to post uh, scrimmage was Stan Drayton. We got him for maybe 20 minutes in the weight room after the game. Was there anything that he said 
that stood out to you guys uh, in particular um, from that game that maybe you didn't either didn't expect or just thought was interesting or noteworthy? I'll start. I I would say it was kind of what you just mentioned about the quarterbacks, right? We kind of asked Stan about Dwan and what he thought about that room. And he said, well, you know, I think Dwan has the potential to be someone who can help this team, you know, which is not exactly a ringing endorsement. I don't want to make it sound like he was, you know, like hypercritical of Dewan or he thought he played poorly or anything like that. Stan was, I would say rather complimentary, but also realistic in the sense that like, yeah, I don't know. Like Dewan was kind of okay. There was a lot of bad things happening around him. And then I think, I think this was your question, right, Sam? He said like, well, you know, I think we have the potential to add somebody in that room. And, you know, I don't know if he was talking about, you know, Elijah Warner coming in there as a freshman, or if he's talking about going to the transfer portal specifically, because somebody else had asked about uh, the freshman quarterbacks and, you know, those guys weren't really there on Saturday. So he could have been talking about either. He could have been talking about both. I don't know, but I think that was my biggest takeaway from that press conference that we had is just like not a ringing endorsement of the starting quarterback. He wasn't overly critical, you know, didn't say like dewan has been bad this spring or that he's not learning or that he's not getting better. He, he said that he was getting better and that he was learning the offense, but also kind of said, eh, maybe we should be looking other places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would agree that the, the not, they're not being a ringing endorsement. I think is a great way of putting it. Can you have anything to add there? Yeah, it's kind of hard to go, you know, in a different direction based off what Stan said and the way he phrased it, like Dante said, was kind of, you know, not exactly what you want to hear about your quarterback, how he could be helpful, but like you want to hear more of that, you know, he's your guy. And until that, you know, is solved for Temple, we don't exactly know what direction the team is heading in. And it seems like they're not 100% confident Dewan is the guy, which will leave for, you know, an interesting offseason. Yeah, without a doubt. Um someone else that I want. Oh, the, the, um, the running backs are the position I want to touch on. Uh, we saw mainly Ed Sadie to be expected and Darvon Hubbard transfer from Texas A&M run, uh, swapping in and out with the ones we saw both of them take some reps, to the twos. We saw some Iverson Clement, uh, just general impressions of the backfield and, and those guys. It was hard to grab like a full impression in my opinion, just for the fact that the offensive line kind of was so sloppy where I didn't see a ton out of Edward Sadie, Darvon Hubbard, Iverson Clement. So right now I would grade it more as an incomplete grade where I don't know enough about them. Obviously we know Iverson Clement from Florida, Darvon Hubbard from Texas A&M have the potential, but I don't know if we saw enough to say whether they're going to be really you know good backs in the rotation just yet. Professor Caden giving an incomplete. I love it. Wow, they uh, did not did not show up to enough classes, missed some assignments. Uh, you're not failing them because you're not a mean te- you're not a mean professor, but you're just giving them an incomplete. I love it. John would be proud to hear that. I I think <laughs> Dante. What about you? Oh man, I I it's tough to not. I I think Darvon Hubbard was the best back on the field, not by like uh, you know, like there's this huge gap between them. I I just thought like Hubbard had the most impactful runs. I thought he made the most impactful cuts. Um, I, I thought for me, honestly, it would probably be like Hubbard, Clement, Sadie, all separated by like, you know, paper thin margin. I don't really think any of them showed anything that should anoint them the RB1 on this team. I think they're probably gonna have to fight for that. I would imagine into the regular season, um, you know, Sadie just, didn't really do anything, uh, frankly. Like, I don't, I think his longest run was like four yards. 
Hubbard had like at least a couple of runs that were like 10 ish, 12 ish yards. He had a, he had a one play where he trucked somebody in the secondary that got the, the guys going a little bit. Clement made some nice catches in the passing game. So it was good to see him kind of use that versatile skill set. So uh, that's how I would rank them. But again, like, I don't think you're getting anything overly productive from those guys right now. That's still a three headed race. Uh, and again, like guys like Trey Blair are still working their way back from injuries last year. They could, that could make that a four man race in the fall. I don't know, but um, Temple still does not have an RB one. And I, I don't know when they're going to figure that out because I, based on that game, like I, I can't imagine being Preston Brown right now and just being like, eh, you know, like Sadie's got the most experience. So we're going to roll him out there first and then we'll go from there. Uh, so that, that's going to be interesting. And, you know, I know Temple fans are like big on the ground and pound run it offense that they won from this Stan Drayton coaching staff. Um, I don't know if that running back is on the team right now, but they still have a chance to develop into that guy. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, not only are Temple fans big on the ground and pound game, but Stan Drayton has made it sound like they're they're huge on yes. that. Obviously, he has a 28 years of experience as a running back's coach. Uh, he has three more years as a record-holding running back at Allegheny. Um, so that's a huge part of the way he sees football, and it's a huge part of whatever. But I agree with you that they, you know, they have pieces that are kind of all, in, you know, whether they go they go more by committee with three guys that was a huge conversation we had with rod last year about how by committee they end up going or you mentioned ed sadie's really of those three the only guy with any ex- temple experience so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um you know so it's it's an it's an important position of note just because how much stan Drayton has emphasized uh how much they want to run the ball this season um the other thing i want to touch on last thing and then you know we have some some other stuff to get into uh is when we got to spring ball, uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that this was the first spring game that any of us had covered. And uh, Kyle had mentioned something along the lines of, there's always one guy that has some unbelievable day or, you know, you see a ton of flashes from and he turns out to like be a dud or be nothing. Or sometimes the guy doesn't play well, it turns out the opposite, whatever, turns out to be great. Um, I don't think we saw one unbelievable performance, but I want to ask you guys, uh, you know, highlight of the day, one play or person that you walked away from thinking like that person had X, Y, Z, great play or X, Y, Z, great play on either side of the ball. I guess I can start for me. I mean, it sounds like a simple answer. It's not someone who really came out. I don't think surprised anyone since he's been a consistent player here, but DMR had like a one handed catch on the sideline. I think at some point, I think it's in the first half of the portion where he caught on the sideline. He's either like one hand or he, yeah, he kind of reeled it in with one hand towards the sideline. And I thought he, you know, for the majority of the day, looked pretty consistent. You know, got injured last year, coming back from injury, seems fully healthy. Seems like he's going to be a big time vocal point of the offense. So I think DMR was my winner of the day for spring practice. And like you said, it is spring practice, but I think we kind of know what we're getting with him. Yeah, just to pile on top of that, Kane, DMR was one of the guys that I think it was Stan Drayton that mentioned after, you know, when we talked to him after that, although Dewan made some math plays, some throws that could have been a little better, he had some underthrown balls, he had some balls that were a little high on shorter routes. DMR was one of the guys that made him look a lot better, I think, than he did. Uh, he had a couple really nice catches. So, so yeah, DMR is a good pick. Dante, who you got? Yeah, kind of on the same boat there with Amon Anderson. I thought Anderson had a couple of really nice catches coming back to the football. He caught that touchdown in the uh, the deep one near the front pylon on the right side of the end zone where he came back on a back shoulder ball that, I mean, Dwan probably underthrew that by about five yards. 
Um, and he caught that in the end zone for a touchdown. I thought he did a pretty good job. He had another nice, like, hands catch where he had to work back to the ball through contact. That was really good. It was good to see that um, because I think Anderson's really important if this team is going to go anywhere productive this year, frankly. Um, I, I think that he's going to have to be a big part of their offense, just being a guy who you manufacture touches for, whether that's on screens and jet sweeps. Um, you know, you try to scheme him open down the field and get him some easy yak. You know, if if he's going to, um, you know, if he's going to be a big part of this offense, I think they have a chance to win maybe one or two more games than they normally would. So I thought Anderson was pretty good. I would say probably the only bright spot from the offense was the pass catchers. So DMR sure. Anderson, I think top of the list. Yeah, I was. So I was planning on adding Devon Fox to that list because of that one nice touchdown he had. He slipped. He made a nice slant uh, catch on a slant and slipped a couple tackles. But I don't want to pick another pass catcher. Um, Dante, I'm going to call on your assistance to recall this play. Caden, if you have anything to add, please do. But, you know, Dante, we talked about this a little bit at length. Mahima Cargo's interception at the goal line. Uh, Dewan Mathis drove them down the field and, and threw a pick for maybe like the seven yard line. It looked like he might have forced the ball in a little, but the way you said you saw it, uh, he was in great position to make that play uh, and jump that route. Like, what, what did you see from that play and, and from Mahima Cargo? Yeah, I mean, it was like the offense was was running a classic PA power O, right? Anyone who plays Madden knows that play, right? Like that's like one of the top three on Ask Madden when you're at the goal line, right? It's a very simple install. They were trying to get that corner route to Jordan Smith, right? Big wide receiver, tight end, hybrid guy. He had caught a touchdown for Mario Valenti earlier. And you know what? The idea is the play action sucks in the linebacker, and then you just dump it right over their head, right? It's very simple. And McCargo just stood home, did his job, did a good job just reading, understanding what they were trying to do to him. He saw Jordan Smith release. He flipped his hips. He got into the throwing lane. I don't, I, I'm guessing Mathis never saw him and he tried to throw it in there. McCargo made a really nice play on the ball. Um, so that's what you want to see out of your second level defenders is the ability to kind of pivot and react uh, to play action fake. So it was, it was a good job by McCargo. Again, it's a simple install, but good play for a young player is kind of a hybrid linebacker safety listed as a safety on the roster, but definitely played linebacker on Saturday. So. Yeah. So there's some movement from him. I think we've seen movement in the past, but he's, you mentioned he is a hybrid guy. That's it's got some versatility uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's a pretty good roundup of, of the cherry and white game itself. Um, you know, we touched on a lot of different guys and uh, looking at the, you know, Caden's nice flowing blonde hair and his journalist poster in the background. Um, I think we got a nice uh, – we touched on a lot of guys that perform well, guys that, you know, areas of improvement. And there's – I think there's a mailbag question later about, you know, kind of what comes next for them. So we'll save that. But just general impressions. I mean, we're all at just about every spring practice talking to Stan eight times, talking to uh, each of the coordinators. And we talked to Antoine Smith and uh, Chris Wiesahan, offensive and defensive line coaches general impressions of spring practice state of the program biggest takeaway expectation wherever you want to take this but i'm curious from you know after now seeing 15 practices of spring football in the stand right era what do you walk away saying yeah i'll start out with this i think the biggest thing that you could take away so you have to see from at least from the spring frame and just from probably an overall, you know, guess that the roster is nowhere close to ready for like competing in the American Athletic Conference. They probably don't have the personnel to be super competitive this season and get maybe seven to eight wins. I don't think they have a realistic shot of getting to a bowl game this year if 
that's I mean, that's just my personal opinion. But from a culture setting perspective, Stan and the rest of the coach, you could definitely see a breath, you know, a breath of you know fresh air. There's a new energy within the building. You can just tell warm ups. It's a lot louder. It's more excitement. So I think you can tell. You know, that's the. I would just restart what I was saying. The biggest takeaway is just there's a new culture. There's a new energy. Players are excited to be there every single day at practice. And Stan and you know, Antoine Smith and all the coaches, uh, Weezan. There's some it seems to be like almost like a different theme. These seem to be very player driven, you know, coaches. They connect with their players. That's like it seems like a very big priority. Everyone that I've talked to about Stan, even in recruiting and people are the assistant coaches, it's all about building relationships and connections and how they're making them feel wanted. So from you know, after a tough, you know, after a tough, you know, few years underneath Rod Care, having that coach that comes in and he's guiding you, making sure that he cares about you, it seems to be the most important thing for this year. Yeah. Just one quicker thing I'd, I'd say to that, Caden, and I completely agree with you is, uh, but to your point about like how player driven Stan is, and I really, really hate harping on or kind of going back to like, to the Rod Carey stuff. I mean, it happened. We, we, we were through it. We covered through it all. Um, but I think that it's fair to say, and, and I'm curious what you guys think is that Rod Carey was so much more player led, whereas Stan is more player driven in a sense that like it's player led, but it's the really like, just it's, I mean, the simple piece, the simple difference is the relationships that he's forging much stronger relationships. Uh, you know, I think that's the, that's the big difference and, and probably my, you know, probably my biggest takeaway, but Dante, uh, any, any main takeaways from spring ball? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty much going to say the same thing that Caden said, so I'll keep it brief. I mean, I think that from a football perspective, this is a multi-year rebuild. This is not a one and fix it. You know, this team has a long way to go. I think specifically on offense, something that I noted in my last column of the year, I was kind of like, I don't really know who catches footballs next year, who's throwing footballs next year. There's a lot of things to figure out on that side of the ball. But I think from a, and I'm not a huge culture guy. I think culture is incredibly overrated. Um, But I think from a culture perspective, it is nice to go into that building and people seem like they are happy to be there. Uh, And that was certainly not the vibe the past three years. And again, I like Sam, I don't really like to harp on the Rod Carey stuff anymore because it's done. It's over with, especially now we've gone through a spring ball with Stan Drayton. He's the head coach, but it is like the most positive thing that you can take away from right now is that it just seems like Stan's a more personable guy and that he connects with these players a little bit more and that they are going back into high schools that they haven't been to in a long time for recruiting. And that, you know, they are trying to be a little bit more, I'm almost going to say like modern with the way that they're doing things, right? Like we see significantly more social media presence when recruits visit, you know, they do, um, you know, the, the photo shoots and they have graphics for these kids and they do videos and different things like that. Like, I think those are like the little things that will help modernize this program, right? Rod Carey was very much a, an old, you know, football grinder, you know, I'm going to come in and eat a bowl of nails for breakfast and run, you know, 40 <laughs> Oklahoma drills for practice, right? Like, like that was kind of the vibe that the old Midwest vibe that you got from Rod and that works in some parts of the country did not work here. And I think Stan gets this place more than Rod did and gets these guys more than Rod did. I think that's incredibly important. Again, I think culture is a little bit overrated, but this temple is a place where you have to come in and understand the people here. And I think Stan and specifically his staff, I, I think that they understand it 
uh, a lot better, even though most of them are not from this area and most of them have not coached this area. So from an on the field perspective, I don't think there's a lot of positive takeaways that you can have outside of, it seems like they play hard. They have a ton of energy and they like their coaching staff. Um, but I think the more important thing to take away is it feels like uh, I'm going to go with stylistically Stan Drayton was a good hire. And then he has brought in guys who also understand how to build a successful program here. Is the execution of that going to be followed through on? I don't know. We'll have to ask that question at some point after next year, probably, but that's where I'm at with it right now. Yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't want to be redundant, but I, I would agree with the both of you have said that, you know, they're probably not going to be great this year. They're probably not going to be a very good football team, but Stan Drayton is writing the ship. Uh, it appears things are heading in the right, in the right direction. You, know, you mentioned right, they haven't played a single game. We don't know anything. We don't really, really, really know anything. As Kyle always says, you know, like if you think you know what's going to be happening in X months, then you're delusional. I feel like I've mentioned things that Kyle has said like three or four times this pod, and I hope he doesn't take too much credit for that. Um, but uh, the that's kind of the big thing I would say is that, you know, they, they don't have a ton of talent, but they're going to be able to reach into the transfer portal this summer and they're going to continue to recruit the area and they're going to re- continue to recruit the area hard. So to be able to have those former guys coming back um, in the building and, and, and to be able to, to recruit the area and to recruit some, some top talent in the area, it's, it, it appears after 15 practices under this regime, the things are headed in the right direction. That's all speculation for right now. Again, you know, who knows how they'll be this year, but that's uh, that's kind of the state of the program right now. Uh, so one of the things we want to talk about before we get to the mailbag, Caden, I am to understand that you have uh, one of many recruiting stories to go up this at some point this week. Um, care to share? Yeah, I should have, you know, a lot more coming up, but, you know, thanks to schoolwork, I don't always have the time to get everything done, but I should be having one. Well, John's not here, so we, so Dante and I can tell you can you you're allowed to focus on uh, on recruiting stuff over schoolwork. Yeah, schoolwork's overrated, Caden. It's completely over. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Stay in school. Stay in school, kids. For all the little kids out there listening to this podcast, <laughs> stay in school. Caden, what do you got for us? Yeah, I should have one coming up this week on Donovan McCoy. He's a wide receiver from St. Joseph regional which is in north jersey he's a six foot five 195 pound wide receiver uh got offered by jafar williams the wide receivers coach that used to coach at virginia tech left for temple uh, he's very you know without giving too much uh, a very nice person just from an overall perspective not on the field talking about how he loves giving back and helping the community uh you know helps you know coach basketball and football and interesting enough He's got an offer from Wagner University to play basketball as well. So two sport at and um, two star athlete, you know, two sport athlete there at St. Joseph Regional. And you know, the dream for him is he talked about he hopes, you know, he could potentially play both football and basketball, but a really good athlete, really nice kid off the field. And uh, you should definitely check out the story when it comes out. Awesome. Yeah. So keep an eye on the site. Um for Caden's recruiting story, that one he'll have a handful more. Uh yeah, so let's let's head over to the mailbag. We have uh, a two-parter and a one-parter from the football side of things, and then two basketball. So we can keep with the theme of football and then, and then wrap up with basketball. The first question uh, from our message boards is from a uh, 215 Temple Tough. The question is, based off of what you guys have been able to see in the spring and gather from the coaching staff, something we talked about a lot today, uh, what are the biggest holes needed to be filled on the roster heading into the fall? That's a good one. Um, I feel like 
I think the obvious one is offensive line, but I don't think they're going to add to that spot. There's there. They already got like too many dudes. Like there, there's way, like there's enough guys in that room. So I think that's the obvious one, but I'm not sure they're going to do anything about that one. So I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think they could use some help maybe at like, like corner. Like I, I'd, I'd like to see them go out and maybe get another corner. I know they brought Dominic Hill in, but. I'd like to see him go get another corner. I think quarterback's another obvious one too, but I'll stick with the offensive line. Like I think that they should go into the portal and like really, really take a hard look at some of the guys who are in the offensive line portal and just see if any of them can help there. I think you can obviously move some pieces around to make room for those guys. I'm not sure that they'll do it. So it's a bit of an unrealistic one, but I'll say offensive line. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different, you know, positions in the, and agreeing with Dante, the offensive line is a position where they could definitely have some upgrades when it comes from you know a depth perspective, maybe even a starter perspective. But I think the one position that they're lacking a true star, a guy that they can rely on is the wide receiver position. Because you look at the group, Jose Barbone, Devon Fox, Ahmad Anderson, especially Anderson and Fox, they definitely flashed something at the spring game. But you know, over the last few years, uh, they haven't really, you know, stepped up to be, you know, Anderson last year showed flashes, but didn't really step up as a full-time wide receiver. Fox, we've seen flashes, but has never really stepped up in that role either. I don't think there's a true number one wide receiver on this team. So if there's an opportunity to add, you know, after the spring and in the offseason through the portal, if they could get a guy that could come in here and help make Dewan Mathis' job easier. And we don't know whether Dewan's the guy or not, but if he is going to be the guy, you have to do everything in that process to support him. And he doesn't have a guy, you know, in the wide receiver room where you think he's a true alpha male, number one. They have a lot of nice complimentary pieces where I think a lot of good potential number two, number three guys is an offense, but I just don't see a guy you know, standing out as a top dog right now. Yeah, completely agree. Um, next question uh, is the second part of that question is how active do you believe Temple will be in the transfer portal? And what do you believe the movement will be internally from current players looking for greener pastures? Uh, so I guess in other words, do you, do you envision any of the guys in the current roster transferring out between now and August? I'm sure we'll I guess get now. some. I'm sure we'll get some. I mean, there's always a couple, right, guys who think they have a chance to, to – uh, you know, get a starting spot at a lower level, right? I don't think we're going to see anyone transfer up from this team, but I, I think we could easily see guys transfer down. As far as how active they'll be, um, my guess is that they will, I don't know, maybe bring in like one or two more guys. I don't think we're going to see like a, a slew of Temple transfers coming in in the next couple of months and into fall camp. You know, the way that Stan Drayton kind of described how he wants to build this roster was through recruiting and through, you know, getting the local guys and winning those recruiting battles in South Jersey and in Philadelphia. Like that's how he wants to build this team through his guys. They obviously have that DMV pipeline and the, and the Florida pipeline as well. So I, I don't think that we're going to see a ton of transfers. I think we'll see like maybe one or two guys, maybe a quarterback and maybe somebody on defense or if it's a wide receiver, but I, I don't think they're going to be overly active. I really don't. I think that they're going to try and, you know, bring in the guys that they recruited from the last class. Uh, a lot of them were not, a couple of them were, but a lot of them were not there on Saturday playing. So I, I think that they're going to try and develop those guys and develop the guys they have on the roster. And unless something that they like, you know, really is uh, an easy slam dunk for them, I don't think that they're going to necessarily go out and do that. I mean, that's what they did with DJ Stewart, right? Like that was a very targeted um, wide receiver that they wanted for Michigan State. 
So they went out and got him, right? And he's kind of that big X guy. But I, I don't know if we see like, I don't know, I think probably like two more guys they bring in, I think is probably the number I'd go with. Yeah, I'm kind of on board with Dante where at least when it comes to players going out, I think mm, probably some players will leave because they won't have any opportunity to play you know, at Temple and maybe they'll go down to the FCS level. Maybe, and this is speculatory, and I don't know enough information whether say this is going to happen. The defensive line room has 17 different guys in there. I don't know how all of them are ever going to earn playing time here at Temple. Maybe some of those guys will exit out. Maybe there will be some position change. And then when it comes to adding players, it's just it's it's um, kind of hard. I agree with Dante to see them adding a ton of players through the port, especially when in the middle of a rebuild. They're not, you know, looking. I mean, obviously, football teams always want to win, but they they probably know they're not ready to win. So I don't see them going out there adding five or six big names or adding a guy like Emmy Jones, the quarterback from the floor through the transfer portal. More maybe some lower, you know, level schools. Maybe guys are trying to move up who are good in the FCS to the FBS. Maybe they'll have some targets there. But yeah, I see them adding maybe one two players and that quarterback position is probably the one that you know, stands out the most is the most likely that they need to bring in some competition. They're pushing uh, to push to Juan Mathis. All fantastic stuff. And I think our listeners have heard enough of my voice today. So yeah, I think those, you know, that's all, all great stuff. Um, other question on the football message board is from what, what TU the question is, and this is kind of a cool question uh, who on the current staff has the best chance of becoming a good head coach one day uh, aside from Stan Great, and obviously considering he's currently Temple's head coach. Yeah, I'll go first. When it comes to the guy on the staff that I think could be a good head coach, what about Chris Wiesahan? He's developed a lot of good offensive linemen. Players seem to like, you know, like playing for him. He's developed Deion Dawkins, uh, you know, a lot of different offensive linemen. And he's got a big-time job here to turn that offensive line around and make it a very formidable, you know, unit to get that to get back to that consideration one day. But Chris Wiesahan, you know, it's another player, you know, driven coach, just talking to him. You can tell he loves, you know, being at Temple. He loves being in Philadelphia, back, being back home from, you know, his kids grew up here. So I think Chris Wiesahan's a guy who's going to embrace the culture here. And if he can turn around the offensive line unit at Temple, and they're able to run the ball and the offense turns around. And it's the second time, you know, underneath, you know, Matt Rule, he did it. And now being with Stan Drayton, if he does it again, I don't see how at least, you know, maybe a smaller FBS program, like a Sunbelt Conference, a Mountain West Conference, someone like that considers Chris Wiesian because he seems like a guy who could be a nice culture setter for you know, a smaller program. It's a tough one. I don't know. I, I was kind of leaning Wiesian. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if there's another head coach on this staff right now. I'm going to be honest. Like just looking at some of the, like profiles, right? These are a lot of guys, like this is a big step up for some of these guys. Um, you know, this is a big opportunity. I don't know a ton about them. Langsdorf and Elliott have the most experience, but they're career coordinators and neither of them, I think Langsdorf have had a little bit more success than DJ has a, as a coordinator. Um, he had those good years at Florida State, but he was the linebackers coach there. He was not the defensive coordinator, if I remember correctly. Someone should probably check me on that. But um I, I think that I don't know. I, that's a tough one. I think personality wise, I think you like Wiesahan, right? I think that that's an easy one to pick out. But outside of him, and I feel like Wiesahan would have to take a job in the Northeast. Like I, I like I think like that's where his his roots are. Like I know he was at Georgia Tech for a couple of years, but that head coaching job for Wies would have to be like I don't know, like Jim Mora gets fired at UConn or something, or like you know, somebody gets fired at UMass. Like, I don't even know if he'd want that job over, like he really likes Philly. Like, I don't know 
if he would be even willing to move on. So that was a really long non-answer. Um, so I'm going to pitch it to Sam because I'm just rambling. All right. So I think we is a fine answer. Um, I think the other person, I have two that come to mind. Uh, the first one being uh, we'd asked Antoine Smith about if he ever sees himself doing anything other than coaching the D line because of how passionately he spoke about coaching the D line. Uh, and he said that maybe one day he could see himself being a defensive coordinator. Um, he strikes me as the kind of guy that could handle a team uh, and that can take on a bigger role personality wise and just how much that dude loves football. If he's in the right situation. Um, so he's, he's one name that came to mind. And then DJ Elliott, uh, which I don't have a ton of reasoning for, Beyond, again, we don't, we can read these guys' bios on Owl Sports the same as everyone else can. And we've talked to each of them. We've talked to, uh, you know, probably half the staff one time. So we are going, all these are, are based off very little interaction. But uh, from our short interaction, DJ Elliott strikes me as the kind of guy that I could see being a head coach. Um, just the way he, he is as a person, his personality, the way he interacts and the way he, the way he talks about the game. I don't have much more than that. I think they're all fine answers. Uh, you know, we, again, we don't know, we don't know all these guys super, super well, but um, to what, what to you, uh, it was a great question nonetheless. So switching over to basketball, wrapping up with basketball, we have two questions on the basketball message boards. Um, start with this one. This is from Park Owl. If you could pick one player currently in the portal for Temple to sign which would make the biggest impact on a team limited to feasible targets. Uh, I'll leave the qualification of feasible up to you. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have names, so I came. This feels like a question. This feels like a question for you, Sam. You're the yeah. basketball guy. Who do you got? Yes. So I'll say this. I don't have a, a, a I don't think Temple, there's not a ton of offers out to guys in the portal. Uh, there's been a handful of reports of they've been talking to a number of different guys. Um, but nothing is super, to the extent of my knowledge right now, nothing is super solidified into an offer. Um, the first guy that comes to mind that I think could make an impact in terms of, well, let me preface this by saying, I think the person that can make the biggest impact is a big man, considering they're bringing back Heisier Miller, who started the, the last few games of the season, um, and, and seems like they're confident into to be their day one starting point guard, barring anything crazy happening. Uh, Damien Dunn and Caleb Battle are both obviously we've talked about enough proven scores and proven leaders and proven go-to options for this team. So in terms of being able to have an immediate impact, I think there's a possibility there's an open starting position or an opening sixth man position, uh, depending on, you know, your starting lineup. If it's Heiser Miller, Damien Dunn, Caleb Battle, and then, you know, is our Jaleel White and Nick Jordan, your four and five and you know, something of a smaller lineup. But then, you know, when you play a bigger team, you're probably going to have to play a bigger guy. So uh, in terms of biggest impact, I think uh, this guy, Wildens Levesque, I think is how you say his name, from Brockton, Mass, that played at, uh, at South Carolina. He's 6'10". He's a junior. He saw action in all 21 games, started 15 last year. Has heard from Temple. I don't have a great sense of how feasible that is. I think that, you know, he's someone looking for a change that it could be the kind of thing where like Emmanuel Pomo, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily utilized to the best of his abilities at Wake Forest, which is why he was looking for a change. Uh, could be the, could be a similar sense of, um, you know, that's someone who maybe didn't have the, uh, the role or the usage that he, that is best for his game. Uh, and, you know, maybe, 
finds again these i'm just kind of throwing a name out here uh that's a, a big man that has played well um i'm not i'm not positive how feasible the get he is uh the other name that i saw that's a guard that i think is a i would definitely consider something of a feasible get but i don't know if it's a huge immediate impact uh or you know how likely it is that he would um well let me rephrase that i don't know how, how huge of an impact he would be you know he probably wouldn't be like a day one starter but he could be a good um a good role player is Corey Floyd Jr., who like just entered the portal today uh, from UConn, and he played at Roselle Catholic, which Temple fans might remember the alma mater, the alma mater in Jersey of the Pierre Louis brothers. Um, so that's a guy that ha- I, you know, I would imagine Temple is probably in on and saying like, hey, if, you know, you want to come home, um, then then that's a that's a guy they could talk to, to, to kind of fill out that backcourt. I know Rasul Diggins, another guy that's from the area that Temple has talked to um, that uh, is, you know, is, is from the area that kind of help run out that backcourt. That's, that's probably the, the best I can give, you know, John or Kyle might be able to give a little bit better, have a better sense of, of uh, guys we're talking to, but, but as of right now, I don't, you know, there are no guys that I've seen that have gotten offers that are in the portal. Obviously they have the 2022 offer to RJ Louise, which we've talked about. They have a, you know, that I've heard they really like, like the 2024 class, the 2023 class, they're okay on the 2022, you know, beyond RJ, they're, they're not super fishing for like, they're going, they're looking through the portal for the right guy and the right fit. I just haven't seen any major offers yet, but again, it's, you know, it's only April, you know, mid April right now. So this this is a lot of time for them to, to make a move like this, you know, heading into the, the early parts of the summer. Nonetheless, though, a good question. And we, we appreciate the question. The final mailbag question we have, this is so I'm going to I'm going to cut I'm going to cut this right. I'm not going to cut this out, but I just want to cut and say that it's so odd to hear me going through this because it's always John going through the mailbag and him <laughs> hosting the whole scoop. So this is just funny to, to hear my own voice go through all this. Uh, anyway, the last question on the basketball message boards comes from Owl Worldwide. Uh, and this is something I think we should at least touch on a little bit. Uh, the question is, I know it's early, but on a scale from zero to 100, what are the odds Caleb Battle comes back? My answer is 99, assuming that 100 is he's coming back and zero is he's not. I would bet good money that he's coming back. And, uh, you know, I, I mean this in the most respectful way possible. There were a lot of people on Twitter that I think didn't fully understand kind of what he was saying or what his plan is. Um, this is not new. The t- Temple players have done this for a long time. Um, and Caleb Battle is not the first. He will not be the last. Uh, in recent memory, um, Quinn Rose did it twice, tested the draft waters to get feedback on his game. Now, if they had told him, like, hey, you could be a second-round pick, maybe he wouldn't have come back to Temple. Um, but was getting feedback on his game. He's setting up workouts. He's in private workouts with teams. He's doing interviews with team personnel and getting feedback on his game to then come back to Temple and kind of know what separates him in his current state versus being a potential draft pick or NBA quality player. Nate Pierre-Louis did the same thing uh, in March of 2020 and said, I'm going to retain my eligibility. Two and a half months later, he said, you know what? I graduated in three years. I'm not going to come back. So it's not a new thing. um, But, and obviously, I mean, because Caleb Battle does have the option to return. He could sign an agent and say, you know what? I'm not coming back if this goes extremely well, but I would imagine right now that he's probably in a position to go get some feedback, come back for another year. If he's healthy all next year and he plays extremely well, and maybe he's the conference player of the year, then I think we're having a conversation of, you know, he's probably gone. Uh, 
Uh, and he's probably been, and he's probably trying to make it to the league, uh, whether that's the G League or, you know, a late pick or maybe find himself overseas. But right now, I'd be hard pressed to say that he, you know, goes to those workouts and they say, like, you're ready right now. That's my impression. Obviously, I could be wrong, but that's my impression. Is that, uh, this is not an uncommon decision. Another person that did it is his older brother, Tyus. Um, Tyus Battle, who played at Syracuse at, in tw- summer of 2018. He um, he did the same thing, declared for the draft, retained his eligibility, came back to Syracuse, played another year, and then um, went undrafted to Timberwolves, played a year in the G League, and then went overseas. So very much on a common, I would say, um, you know, it, it's I, I think it's a great thing for him to do. I think he'll get a good test of his game. I think he'll get some outside perspective on how his game stacks up, uh, and it'll be great for his development. I think it'll only help him uh, going into next season kind of knowing how to route out his game and what the next steps are in his. It'll be interesting to hear what Caleb comes back with from a bevy of NBA scouts and team personnel. I don't know if you guys had anything to add there. No, I think you did a great job. I, I The only thing I would add is like, I mean, there's no reason for him not to do it, right? Like that's like that's the way that I looked at it. And again, like Sam's definitely our basketball guy, but like there's no reason for him not to to enter and just be like, Hey, what do you guys think? And then they're like, well, you are nowhere close. And then it's like, okay, well, I need to go back. And if you're looking at it from his perspective, you know, again, I don't think this is going to happen. I'm with Sam. Like I would give this a 99% chance that he's back, but who knows? Maybe there's a 1% chance that, you know, a bunch of scouts are like, you know what? You're pretty good. Maybe, you know, you're definitely going to be a second round pick. And maybe, you know, he looks at that and goes, I'm going to go out. I'm going to play the G league for two years and try and develop a second round pick. I don't know, but there's no reason for him not to do it. So I wouldn't overreact to it. I really yeah, wouldn't. Yeah, it's, also, it's not like out of the realm of possibility that a scout says to him, like, listen, you could absolutely go undrafted and find your way into a G League roster. Maybe he's like, damn, okay, I want to go make some money now. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just, I were, if I were a betting man, I would say he probably hears, like, this is the difference between you and being, you know, able to be drafted. Uh, he feels comfortable in taking one more year. And, um, you know, who knows how much his, his injury past plays a factor into what they say or what his immediate, the immediacy of the decision he wants to make is. But I would imagine that he hears, you know, like, listen, you're close, but you're not there from being a guy that can, that can find his way onto a G League roster. Um, or, you know, it, it would be incredible for him if he could make his way onto an NBA roster. Obviously, you know, Temple hasn't had uh, a draft pick in a number of years. So, um, I think it was a LaVoy Allen was the last one. Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah. Yes. Like yes. Yeah. So it'd be great for Temple to have a draft pick. So if Caleb Battle goes to, goes to these workouts, you know, um, you know, meets with teams and they say, this is the difference between you and being a second round pick or this difference between you now and you getting drafted, he comes back. That's things he works on. And this time next year, we're talking about where Caleb Battle could fall in the draft or where Caleb Battle could end up, whether, you know, undrafted or, you know, maybe he plays overseas, who knows, but that's a long-winded version of saying uh, he's probably, you know, our, if we were betting men, which sometimes we are, um, that we'd probably take that Caleb will get some great feedback. He'll have a great experience uh, doing these workouts. From what we've seen from his social media, it seems like he's 100% healthy and cleared um, cleared to play. So he'll have a great experience with his workouts, and, and he'll be able to come back to Temple and, and kind of take what he learned and, and go from there. Any closing thoughts on – Spring football, cherry white game, Temple hoops. We covered a lot. I think we held the fort down 
in absence of our fearless leaders, uh, John Carlo, Kyle Gauss, even Javon, we miss Javon. We wish Javon was with us. We could all be together without, without the two of them, without our, our fearless leaders. But uh, I thought I thought today was fun. And you'll probably not see me in the host chair for a little because John will hopefully be back next week. Uh, hopefully both Kyle and John and Javon will all be back next week. Um, so for, you know, for the three of us, thanks for, uh, thanks for sticking with us. And we will uh, we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.